0: Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm senior producer, Connor Boyle. Coming up in the next hour, Tamiwa Owolade, the writer, critic, and author discusses his recent book, This Is Not America, Why Black Lives in Britain Matter. He'll be discussing why he believes the models for defining inequality that often come from American culture don't always fit into the picture in other nations, such as the UK. Joining Owolade in discussion is our host for today, the journalist, broadcaster, and commentator, Enea Fularin iman If you want to listen to a longer extended version of this discussion ad-free and enjoy lots more members-only content, do make sure to sign up to become an Intelligence Squared member on the Intelligence Squared website or by hitting subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app. And if you want to find out about everything coming up on Intelligence Squared, our latest events with the likes of Rory Stewart, Mary Beard, Michael Lewis and much more, do sign up to our newsletter via the link in the episode description. But now let's join Ineia Fularin aman with more.
2: Thank you. Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squad event with Tamiwa Owoladeh. He is a contributing writer at The New Statesman and he has also written for many other publications, including The Times, The Sunday Times, The Financial Times and The Observer. His new book, his first, is This Is Not America, Why Black Lives in Britain Matter. Tonight's event is going to run for one hour. For the first 45 minutes or so, I'm going to be in conversation with Tamiwa, and then I'm gonna be taking your questions. So we are now gonna start the discussion. So thank you so much, Tamiwa. I wanna start off firstly with a very broad and, and an open question. The title, This Is Not America. I mean, this sounds like a very particular provocation, a particular response to a, a particular context at the moment. Could you just elaborate on your central argument of the book?
1: Yeah, thank you, Anaya. The central argument of my book is that when we talk about race, And identity we need to talk about it within a particular context and all too often um, when we talk about race and identity in the UK we do it through an American perspective. So the very idea of the book came to me in the summer of 2020 when I observed that many of the people that were rightly um, pointing out the injustice of the murder of George Floyd in the UK emphasized an American way of looking at race, even when they were talking about race within a British context. To give one concrete example, I saw many well-meaning progressive activists using terms like BIPOC to describe the condition and experiences of ethnic minority people in the UK. Um, For those of you that don't know, BIPOC is an acronym that stands for Black Indigenous People of Colour. A term like that would make sense in America, because of course America has historically discriminated against and oppressed its um, Native American and various Indigenous communities. But a term like BIPOC in a British context, I would argue, carries with it a more far-right resonance, So the irony is that you had many well-meaning progressive activists using a term that you would expect somebody like Nick Griffin, the former leader of the BNP, to use. Um, And I think that particular example vividly illustrates a more wider problem, which is that all too often when we think and talk about race in the UK, we do it through an American perspective. So we also had many protesters in Oxford Street um, using phrases like, hands up, don't shoot, Uh, when of course um, the sort of military culture, the sort of martial culture of American police simply doesn't apply to British police. Um, So that's one element of my argument. Um, The particular experiences of Black Americans in terms of their history of institutionalized segregation simply doesn't apply to a UK context. Um, Black American people, um, you could argue, are one of the most indigenous communities in America. Um, The average black American can trace their ancestry further back than the average white American. Whereas in the UK, the um, most black British people are either immigrants or the children of immigrants. Um, so, the black, so Black British people are, are, in essence, an immigrant community, um, and that's simply not the case in America. Um, the other part of my book, um, the other thing which I seek to emphasise, is that when we talk about Black British identity, we need to do it in a more nuanced way. So there isn't one singular Black British identity. Um, the experiences, for example of Black Caribbean people are very different to the experiences of Black African people in terms of things like education. So for example, Black African pupils have um, a higher GCSE and A-level attainment than Black Caribbean pupils, and Black Caribbean pupils are more than three times more likely to be excluded from schools than Black African pupils. So if we genuinely care about the inequalities in our society we need to be more specific in our focus. And we also need to emphasise the fact that race is not the only source of inequality in British society.
2: No, uh, re- really fascinating. I mean, so essentially, you know, what you're arguing is that whilst there was many legitimate um, concerns and attention raised to the subject of racism, a very important one in many parts of the world, the the way in which the term kind of black mm. was uh Particularly seen through an American lens, but it had a homogenizing effect mm. where we, we we didn't pay mm. attention to how um, the context in the UK was different. So o- o- on that point, could you just elaborate on on what are the more specific ways in which the UK context um, is different? You mentioned the fact that um, you know America had segregation and and slavery, but but what what are those? tease out more of what those differences are.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um... I think another important difference is a demographic one. Um, So in America, um, 13% of the American population is black. Whereas in the UK, the black population only constitutes um, around 4% of the population. Um, I think another important thing to emphasise within that is that there are so many cities and towns in America where the majority of the population is black. Whereas in the UK, the um, city with the um, largest share of the black population is London. Um, And London only has about um, 14% of its population, which is black. Um, So in America, it's much easier to have an exclusively black social circle than it is in the UK. and I think that matters because that's illustrative of the legacy of segregation, um, which is passed down to contemporary America. But that, that particular context simply doesn't apply to the UK. Because I think another thing to emphasise is that um, the, the, pop- the share of the UK population is 4%, but um, around 30 years ago, it was only about 1% of the population which is black. Um, So there's always been a very tiny percentage of the UK population, which is black. Whereas in America, um, the share of the black population since America became a republic has been between 12%, 13% to 19%. So so there there is a massive demographic difference between um, the experiences of black Americans and the experiences of black British people I think another important difference worth emphasizing is that in the UK, there are twice as many Asian people as there are black people, Um, whereas in America, it's the other way around. So in America, the share of the population, which is Asian, is 6%. um, So twice as fewer um, as the black population. Um, But all too often when we talk about race and ethnicity in a UK perspective we emphasize the black experience and don't pay any attention to the experiences of British Indian people, British Chinese people and I think it's worth paying attention to them as well because their experiences are quite different to the experiences of black Caribbean people and even within the Asian, the um, British Asian um, community Um, There are important differences between, say, um, the experiences of British Pakistani people and the experiences of British Indian people when it comes to things like education. Um, So I think um, when we look at race through that Americanized, homogenising perspective, we lose the nuances within the ethnic minority population in the UK. And when we do that, we can't really... um, specifically address the inequalities in British society.
2: So just before we get onto that um, subject about inequalities, which I think is a really central point to this conversation, I mean, some people would push back and say, in many ways, you know, whilst there are those kind of differences that are, are important to highlight, but in some very important ways, Britain and America are, are very similar, or at least, and their histories have always often gone aligned together. So, for example, I mean, America being a former uh, British colony, uh, or also the fact that whilst America had uh, slavery on its soil, Britain. Exported it uh, to the colonies, and you know, whilst African Americans came to uh, America through the transatlantic slave trade, that that history is quite similar to uh, British Caribbeans who were taken involuntarily to the Caribbeans, and then you know, and then came to the UK, who a country they saw as their own society. So, uh, what do you say to those who say actually um, there are very important similarities as to why we our, our histories around race um, are intertwined?
1: Yeah, and I would agree those similarities do exist. Um, what I would push back against is the idea that just because that there are some similarities, we should also not acknowledge the very important differences as well. So I would agree that in terms of slavery, um, the experiences of Black Caribbean people is quite similar to the experiences of Black American people in terms of that particular shared history of the transatlantic slave trade Um, but as you said earlier um, the difference is that um, slavery was um, practiced on British um, plantations away from the metropole which is different to the experiences of black Americans where slavery was practiced on the mainland Um, I think another thing worth emphasising is that what what a lot of people don't know is that as of today there are twice as many black African people in the UK as there are black Caribbean people. So up until about 25 years ago, the majority of the black British population um, were black Caribbean Caribbean people, whereas um, today the majority are black Africans. And that's because of the massive influx of immigration over the past twenty five years and black African people don't have that particular historical um, legacy of being of having the ancestors transported during the transatlantic slave trade um, and and I think it's I think it's important to emphasize that because um that particular historical trauma simply isn't the same for Black African people, Um, which is not to say that Black African people don't have any sort of negative experiences of Britain. In in terms of Africa, there is the history of colonialism, but I think that's different to the experiences of Black Caribbean people. Um, And many of the... um, In fact, all of the immigrants that came from Africa over the past 25 years came from independent countries. They didn't come from countries that were under the um, rule of the UK, which is very different to the experiences of black Caribbean people that came over to the UK during the 1950s. They came as British subjects. they were automatically entitled to British citizenship um, when they came during the 1950s. Whereas black African people came as immigrants from um, an independent country. Um, And I think those historical differences are worth emphasizing when we talk about um, the experiences of black British people.
2: So, just going off of that same point about the the differences between uh, Black Caribbean uh, people, uh, Black British Caribbean, and Black uh, British African people, because I think some of the discussion over the last uh, couple years has been about this idea, which I think you've touched upon before as well, that disparity fallacy, which or this idea that all disparities um, may be due to to racism, um, and that actually uh, increasingly people are relooking really looking at that and actually thinking maybe there are other factors that contribute to racial and ethnic disparities. But when you just mentioned there about um, the differences between uh, Black Caribbeans in the UK and, and, and Africans, is, in a way, does that not highlight the importance of of racism when it comes to those disparities because a lot of those black Caribbean and black Africans come to Britain with uh um that kind of immigrant optimism uh they 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 have that very strong sense of rootedness in their identity and history and on top of that um they they might have um oftentimes I know many black uh, West African Brits whose family within West Africa are actually middle class or upper middle class even though they might be in poverty in the UK, they have a lot of that kind of cultural capital. And so doesn't that kind of reveal uh, the, the the really difficult complexities in, in mm, unweaving mm, all of, of those course. nuances?
1: Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why Black Caribbean pupils struggle um, compared to Black African pupils, I think one of the reasons um, might partly be because of the legacy of racism that many black caribbean people experienced um, in terms of the education system in the 50s and 60s um, because many black Black caribbean pupils um, it, during that time were unfairly consigned to special educational schools um, and i think that that has led to a kind of mistrust within the education system, um, possibly which, which is still being, um, which, which is still sort of evolving. Whereas with Black African people, I think I think immigrants' optimism is is the um, absolutely the right phrase to use because there is that that's the reason why many of them immigrated to the UK in the first place because they wanted. A better education for their children. Um, and I think one way you see um, this manifesting itself is the um, the massive extent to which many of the grammar schools in Kent, um, in, in areas in, in areas in Kent are, are being um, are, are, are sort of um, well the, the many black African people. Um, are are trying to get their kids into grammar schools in Kent, Um, especially Black African um, families that live in what I call in my book, the um, Black African Riviera. Um, So that strip in Southeast London um, that connects areas like Peckham, Woolwich and Thamesmead, many of their children are going to grammar schools in Kent. And I think the reason why that's the case is because social mobility is absolutely um, an integral part of their identity, um, trying to better themselves, trying to um, emphasise the importance of education, um, which is not to say that this is not, this, this is, um, I, I should emphasise that this is, th- these are generalities. So of course there are many Black Caribbean pupils that are doing extremely well in education and Black Caribbean families that are, um, are emphasising the importance of education. Um, alternatively, there are also many Black African pupils that are struggling in, in education as well. These are generalities. And I should also emphasise that in the past as well, uh, many Black Caribbean families in the 50s and 60s also emphasised the importance of education but they were betrayed by the education system uh, because of the racism of those institutions. Um, And and I think it's also worth emphasizing that uh, because all too often, many people say that this is just a class issue, that um, it's that black African people are just middle class. uh, And that's why they tend to do better in terms of education than black Caribbean um, people. But I think if, if even if you look, uh, even if you control for things like class as well, you still see these differences as well. Um, So black African pupils on free school meals um, tend to do better than black Caribbean pupils. On free school meals as well.
2: Yeah, no, really interesting. I mean, I'm I'm one of those Black British people that you talked about. Was uh, was born in Thamesmead and um and then uh <laughs> and then grew up in Kent. And um, but but going up um go, going on that subject of class, I think is a very important one because, um, some of the argument that I think that you allude to um, implicitly and explicitly is the idea that classes um marks stronger. Uh, determiner in the UK um, of of socio economic um, outcomes o- over race, and um, I just thinking to America. I think one of the things that is quite interesting about America, and I, you know, a lot of people point to America saying that it's far far more worse or or, or vulgar in its expression of racism today but some people would also say that for example black british actors they often talk about how they've had limited opportunities in the uk and actually go to america for for greater opportunities and um, and that in a lot of ways that the kind of elite in america is actually quite quite ethnically diverse you've got the the oprahs the the obamas and perhaps a british export the, the, the sussexes as, as as well and um, Beyonce and Jay Z, you've got a lot of these very big uh, um, African American figures in a way that, that money really uh, tells you more than perhaps in the UK, where we're still very much affected by people's title and, and what your family uh, you know, status was historically. And, and so, in a, in a strange way, um, there, there's a way in which in the UK, class can actually form um, bigger barriers. To people achieving huge economic success that in a way that race might not do in America.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting point because um, just to go back to your point about class, I think the issue of class is something that um, class and education, the issue of class and education is something that I only retrospectively um, discovered after I left school. Um, so just to give you context, I went to um, a comprehensive state school in southeast London um, and in my school um, the, um, the the white working class kids, the white working class kids in my school were friends or friendly with ethnic minority kids of all class backgrounds. Um, and the white middle class kids in my school were friends or friendly with, ethnic minority kids of our class backgrounds as well. But the white middle class kids and the white working class kids were not friends with each other or even friendly with each other. Um, and I think um, this was partly reinforced through the um, the fact that we had sets. Um, so like if you were good in English or if you were good in maths, or or good in science, um, you were basically separated um, from other kids in in, in my school. Um, And so the um, top sets were mostly the ethnic minority kids and the white middle class kids. Um, And the bottom sets were mostly um, other ethnic minority kids and the white working class kids. And I think that emphasised to me the importance of class in trying to understand many of the um, important um, inequities in our society. Um, To your point as to why many um, black British actors um, go over to America and find more success, um, I think that's because, um, to, to to be very blunt about it, black American culture is much richer than black British culture. And I think that makes sense because to go back to a point that I made at the very start, there has always been um, a substantial minority of the population in America that's black. Um, And and I think to just see them as black is to miss a fundamental point. They're not just black. They are also American as well. Um, Black American people Are the most influential black people in the world and that's not just because and that's not because they're black that is because they are american um so it makes sense why black british actors go over to america to find success this is also true of course of white british actors which is not often spoken about (laughs) into the same extent because when many white british actors um, go over to america and find success many white british actors um, star in films where they play Americans. Um, so it's not just, I, I think it's too simplistic to just see it in terms of race. I think it's more so the fact that um, black American culture and American culture in general um, is just very rich.
2: I just wanna move on to the, the subject of colorblindness, like thinking about kind of solutions to, to some of these, uh, these questions that we're exploring. Another thing that I think is quite interesting in thinking about similarities is that the most prominent activists both in uh, in America and the u k so in your book you you point to Kane Andrews uh, here who's often um uh, at, at the forefront of many discussions on the subject but also in America you have uh, ibrahim X Kendi and Robin d'Angelo, and both of these uh these different um thinkers all Delegitimize colorblindness—the the the, um, the idea that actually, when it comes to laws, uh, we should have equality under the law and and not have uh, laws and policies with regards to race—and and this was a uh, you know the the traditional liberal ideal for uh, for for much of the mid twentieth uh, century. And so, w- w- what do you think about the notion of having an ideal of colorblindness? Because thinking about again, when we say this is not America, in a strange way, activists. Both share, prominent actors often share this kind of rejection of this, this ideal. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, um, I think when people advocate for um, colour blindness, especially in terms of law, which is what we're talking about, um, some activists would say that, um, well, because there's this sort of cliché of saying, um, I don't see colour. Um which many people interpret in a very literal way. But I think that that ideal is that, that, that phrase, I don't see color is meant to be a metaphor. So it's not to say that because everyone sees color un- unless they're colorblind or just blind, <laughs> um, literally. Um, it, it's, it's about emphasizing the fact that color should not be a determining factor in making laws. Because the thing with seeing people through their race Is that you don't acknowledge or incorporate all the other elements To that person's identity So a person could be black But they could also come from an extremely affluent family A person could be white But they could come from an absolutely dirt poor family um, they could be white, and they could have disabilities, intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities, which a comparative black person might not have. Um, and I, and I think and I think what us as people that advocate for um, colorblind approach um, should emphasize is it's not a case of us not caring about racism. It's us thinking that racism is not the only thing that determines someone's identity and it's not the only thing that explains the inequalities in society. There are other factors including, and this is an important aspect, including the irreducible individuality of somebody, the individuality which transcends any of that person's Identity characteristics. Um, so I think when we emphasize that we advocate a colorblind approach, it's not denying the realities of racism or denying the fact that race or racism can affect somebody's life chances. It's simply emphasizing that simply focusing on race to the exclusion of other factors means that we can't have um, a genuinely holistic and effective approach to inequality and fairness and inclusion, because race is not the only thing that shapes someone's identity.
2: Mm. Just a reminder, please tweet us at the hashtag IQ2. And also you can ask a question by clicking on the ask question button under the video screen, then press send. Um, just sticking to that point about colorblindness, Tamir, why why do you think then that colorblindness, as I uh, mentioned earlier, which was um had had a lot of uh, cultural authority um, for a very long time, has increasingly been subject to uh, challenge and disillusionment in in many uh, contemporary anti-racist circles. and this there seems to be a kind of broader problem of a, and a kind of pessimism. Um, about the possibility of, of, of reaching certain um, colorblind ideals why, why do you think there has been this disillusionment?
1: Um, because I think increasingly we um, live in a society where various forms of identity is what gives us meaning um, so in the past for example we derived meaning from our families we derived meanings from local communities, um, local institutions within our communities. We derived meaning from religion, um, but we live in an increasingly atomized society where we see a decline in civic, local institutions. We see a decline in extended family units. We see a decline in religion. And I think with all of those things declining, we now increasingly seek meanings, um, derive central meanings from various forms of identity. Um, so many of us um, now embrace our blackness as the thing that gives us meaning, whereas in the past we would have derived meaning from um, institutions within our local environment, um, Many of us derive meanings now from the uh, from our political affiliations now, Um, and and I see that there is um, um, a similarity between the this emphasis on seeing ourselves in this very racialized way, and also the way that we view our politics, which is um, the the kind of um, religious or, or or Pseudo religious zeal with which we embrace politics. So I, I think the reason why there is a rejection of that kind of colorblind ideal is because um, the way that we derive meaning has completely changed. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared. This
0: episode was produced by Hannah Kay and edited by Tom Hall. If you want to hear more and a full-length version of this episode, just go to intelligencesquared.com and become a member. You can also hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to find out about everything coming up on Intelligence Squared.